Hey, David. Graham, what's up? <laughs> I've got a joke for you. I figured you might. Uh, what do you call a reluctant potato? Huh. If I thought about it for a while, I could maybe figure it out. You might be able to, but I'm going to tell you. Do it. It's a hesitator. Uh, <laughs> 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 hesitator. Oh, boy. Oh, did you get that from a listener or your ch a child at your house? I do not remember... Uh, it might have been the. I, I might have been going back to the joke vault. I feel like it's our jokes ratings have gotten more positive towards each other over. Oh no! Since the beginning of season, this... the first couple of seasons when we were repeatedly giving each other twos, mm -hmm. and I don't know if that means that our sense of humor has gotten worse slash better or we've gotten kinder. But I'd say that's like a four. Okay, I'll take that. A four? Is that you good with that? Okay. So, um, did you hear about the um, Viking? Uh, initiative tradition where children had to participate in a raid to become a full man. Uh, no, I've never heard of this tradition. Yeah, as they say, it takes a pillage to raise a child. Oh, man. Um, um, you know, in a way, that's kind of a good joke. It's better than mine. <laughs> Hesitator, though. <laughs> I want to give that a 4.2. Okay. That's the exact same as you gave me. Did I? I think we're on the same wavelength. Okay. I think we're, we're, we're punching at the same weight. Okay. Did today. I say 4.2 or 4.5? Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, enough of the nonsense. Let's get on with the nonsense. Welcome back to Withy Windle, a whimsical interactive show for kids who love stories, words, and groan-worthy jokes featuring your favorite authors and illustrators. It's part book club, part game show. It's an adventure through the wild world of wordplay. I'm David Kern. And I'm Graham Pittman. And you are listening to the threeth episode of the sixth season. This is episode 6.3 of Withy Windle. Thank you for listening. The threeth. The threeth. We, yeah, we made it to it's the threeth. official number. And then we go back into... Um, other numbers that aren't as funny, like fourth, fourth and fifth, fifth and sixth. sixth, sixth. Yeah. yeah, right. right. Those well, first three, though, one, tooth, and three, right. hilarious. Very fun numbers, exactly. Hilarious to us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, do you think the kids at this point are like, come on, guys. No. That's wrong. No. They're rolling their eyes. Everybody loves it. Okay, all right, great. 100% uh, approval. Everything we do on this podcast, everybody loves 100% approval <laughs> <laughs> of all of our sense of humor. Well, we are here with another great episode of, of uh, Withy Window. Our guest on this episode is an author named Carolyn Leilogli. And our conversation with her is coming up in a little bit. But first, we need to tell you about sponsors, and we're gonna probably eat some snacks, and we're gonna talk about crazy words, and we're gonna um, we're gonna tell a story. So all that's coming up before we interview Carolyn Leilogman. This is uh, all our podcasts are packed. We say they're packed with nonsense, right? They are packed with some good stuff. Well, can nonsense be good? Yeah, you're right. You're right. right. I mean, what am I thinking? On this, on this episode, on this show. What am I thinking? Yeah. We're redefining nonsense in a way here at Withy Wendell. That's actually very true. <laughs> I, I think about that a lot. Anyway. All right. What's well, up next? Before we get to all that nonsense and all that, all that uh, redefined nonsense, we have to tell you about something that is not nonsensical, and that is the beautiful books that are coming from our friends over at Waxwing Books. If you're looking for books that the whole family will love to read, look no further than Waxwing Books, the brand new boutique publishing house from Read Aloud Revival, a podcast and online community dedicated to helping both adults and kids fall in love with reading aloud. Graham, do you like reading aloud? I do like reading aloud. I read aloud tonight for an hour. Oh, what'd you read? To my daughter, I read um, half an hour of The Chamber of Secrets. Oh, nice. And to my son, I read half an hour of Jonathan Oxier's 
Peter Nimble and his Fantastic Eyes. Nice, nice. Good books. Great books. It, but let's say you didn't fall, you weren't in love with reading aloud or your kids weren't yet, then you know we might recommend that people check out Waxwing Books because they're going to help with that very problem. Waxwing publishes books for a wide range of ages containing illustrations you want to look at a little longer than necessary. And I can confirm this because I read aloud these books to my daughter and she spends a lot of time, she says, wait, go back, I'm not done looking at that page yet. So oh, yeah. that's exactly what they're describing there. Um, the text is delicious to read aloud, and the stories pull both adults and children in. Their first two releases are A Little More Beautiful, which my daughter loves. That's kind of about gardening and, and, uh, and, and libraries and public spaces and friendships and things like that. And then you've got While Everyone is Sleeping, which I don't want to say too much about because that's brand new, but you should definitely get that get that one. Um, and again, the artwork is so beautiful in those. And uh, we like those, those both at our house. Those are both written by Sarah McKenzie and they're available for purchase at waxwingbooks.com or wherever you get books, such as Goldberry Books. Last, uh, last episode, I had some waxwing facts. Facts you, wings, <laughs> if you will. About... About the waxwing, like the creature, the bird, the bird. Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Remember, I, I said that they have that that like black mask kind right. of thing. That, and I, I didn't that, know yeah. why they were called waxwings. Did you find out? Yeah, uh, and it's obvious. Um, oh. <laughs> but I've never, I've never thought about it. But uh, waxwings, some of the wing feathers have red tips, like they've been dipped in wax. You know how people used to uh, seal bottles? Yeah, 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 yeah. In yep. wax. Yep. That's why. That, okay, that's cool. So they've got red-tipped wings, wax wings, and then masks. And masks, yeah. That's one of the coolest sounding creatures. <laughs> I know. That's a, that's a great choice Yeah. for a publishing company. We don't have a lot of wax wings in North Carolina. I think we have some, but we don't have a lot. But well, where Sarah McKenzie is, it looks like there's quite a few cedar well, wax wings. If you like amazing creatures and amazing books, then Waxwing Books is where you want to check out. So waxwingbooks.com, that link is in the show notes, or of course you can... Uh, find it wherever you, um, you know, just however you get on the internet. Uh, also, just you can get these books in bookstores. You can get it on Amazon. You can get them from waxwingbooks.com. So we are very grateful to them for sponsoring this season and making episodes like this possible, making the nonsense <laughs> possible. Making the nonsense possible. So thank you to Waxwing Books for make, helping us redefine nonsense. <laughs> All right, Graham. Um, do we have anything we need to talk about before we get into snack time? Yes, we do. We have some news for this season. Okay. Uh, we, uh, this is your official announcement. For 6.3th. That for season six, we are again going to be reading some listener stories. So last... Right at the end of the season on the... Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So last season, uh, a bunch of people sent stories in. We selected four of them uh, and read them uh, on, a, on a later episode. Uh, we are going to do the same thing this time. Um, there was a few stories people sent in that were great and we didn't get to. We're going to yep. go back and revisit those and look at those, maybe pick a couple of those. But if you have not sent in a story yet, please do so uh, in the next week or two. How um, should kids do that? They would email us at podcasts at goldberrybooks.com. Nice. So they can just send that in a, the text of an email or as a Word document or yeah. whatever they want. And last season we did it as like a standalone episode where we read those stories. We might do that again, or we might uh, just read a few in our question Palooza episode at the end of the season to make yeah. that episode even longer. <laughs> uh, Cause it's yeah, the we're last still one sorting out how the exactly what we're going to do. Yeah, but. And you want that last episode to be, you don't want to say goodbye. We want an so extravaganza. You just want to make it as long as possible. Right. Uh, you have some, you have an announcement too. Well, we also 
are going to be posting a thread on our Substack, which is withywindle.substack.com, where we are going to be asking for your favorite craziest words in the English language. So what we're going to do is we're going to have a thread there, and all you have to do is enter in that thread what your favorite crazy words are, and then we're going to choose from those entries some people that we're going to send signed posters to. Now, this, the posters are technically not on sale right now, but if you missed out on that, then you still can get a chance to, to win a poster by yeah. going there and entering a we, we, crazy word. We had, a few, we had a few extra, and we are like, what are, what are we going to do with these? We got to give them away. Um, right. So, yeah, click the link in the show notes, which will take you to our Substack. That's right. It's free to sign up. You just put in your email address, and then you can go find that post and comment on it. Right. Um, we want to hear all your crazy words and maybe we'll feature some of them this season, next season, season 50. I don't know. <laughs> we'll see. All right, Graham. Crazy words is coming up in a second, but all this chatter is making me hungry. So what do you say we do some snack time now before we uh, get to crazy words? Yes, please. And we have yet again, more snacks that were sent in by the, the audience. I love seeing a box come out and not knowing what's inside. Uh, this, is the, this is like, it's like Christmas every time so we record. These are coming from our friends, the Crofts. They have a note here. It says, congratulations on starting your sixth season of Withy Window. We can't wait to hear all the guest interviews and all the fun nonsense. We sent some, some freeze-dried candy for you to try out and would love to hear how they rank. We also included a, oh, something here um, <laughs> for David as well. Sorry, Graham. Uh, have Wait, a great season. What? You'll see. You'll see. So we're going to start with that thing here to see if you like it. I'm, and then uh, we're going to rank these. These We're going to have to rank these um, freeze-dried candies. Freeze-dried First, though, candy. Now, this is a package that you probably would not normally like. It's Brock's. It's, it looks like candy corn. Oh, they sent you candy corn. They sent special candy corn, though. They're mellow cream caramel apples. It sounds... So here, you got to see what you think. It sounds good. I know it's not good. <laughs> I know that. And so they're gigantic. does not love candy corn, but apparently she's found these at the bookstore, didn't realize what they were for. She was cleaning. And she was nibbling on and them? And she nibbled on it. She said they were great. So we're going we're gonna to find out. Wait, what's Mellow Cream? I don't know. It's probably just some sub-brand of the... Okay, are you ready? Yeah. So candy corn. So it's, got, it's brown on one side and green on the top. And d- it's the texture of a candy corn. And you love candy corn. I don't like it. This looks like, um, I'm not, I haven't put this in my mouth yet. I'm scared of it. It looks like. Oh, weird. Um, a wax melt. Like you would put on like a candle warmer. Yep. And they would melt and. Yeah. All right, let's try that. That sounds, sounds delicious. <laughs> I'd eat that. <laughs> you definitely can taste that caramel apple. You know those suckers? The lollipops, the yeah, caramel apple, it's got that flavor. Okay. Um, I like this. <laughs> it's not my favorite, but I like this. And uh, it's the exact same consistency of a candy corn, except maybe like five times bigger and shaped like an apple. You're right. Um, but the flavor is way better than normal candy corn flavor. I mean, it still might taste like a caramel apple wax melt. Graham. This next thing is going to be, this is going to be an, a wild ride here. So we have five kinds of fried, uh, freeze-dried candy from the freeze-dried candy store. I would take fried candy okay. too. I don't. Yeah, I will. True. Okay, so this first one is called Original Super Puffs. So we have to be ready to rank these. Okay? What is a freeze-dried? I'm confused. Um, it just says, warning, very fragile, packaged with care. 
<laughs> it looks like it's it doesn't describe what freeze-dried candy is on it. So we're just going in, we're just going in for the ride. Graham's gonna probably look this up, I'm I'm guessing. So I mean I've heard that term a lot, freeze-dried things. Puffs, they, wow, they're it's like super crumbly. That's kind of interesting. It's porous. Here, take two. So you can use one to rank. And these are different? Yeah, they, no, well they're the same candy, it's just different colors. This one is the original super puffs. Okay, you ready? Yeah. <laughs> that is so interesting. It's like Jolly Ranchers, but it kind of like melts like cotton candy. Yeah, it's it does it's not hard. It's like porous, like a, it looks like a sponge. Crumbly oh, sponge. these are fun. This is delicious. All okay. right, what's the pink one? Um, it doesn't say the different flavors. Different uh, it doesn't colors. matter. Okay, so this next thing is original crunchers. So they claim... Oh, that's the watermelon. The Crofts have, like, comparisons here. So they said that these last ones were like Jolly... Oh, yeah, Jolly Ranchers. They're they, per taste. they taste exactly like Jolly Ranchers. These ones, they say, are like Starbursts, but they actually are wrapped in Starburst wrappers. <laughs> I'm, I'm, Freeze-dried Starburst? Yeah, I guess. Yeah, I'm a little confused about why they have actual Starburst wrappers on them. Well, those are crunchy. This is a hard one to talk while eating. It like it kind of breaks <laughs> so your hard. it kind of breaks your mind. Yeah, because I recognize these flavors. I grew up with these yeah. exact mm -hmm. flavors. Mm -hmm. But the texture. This is not a. Um, this is not the Starburst I'm used to. No. But I I'm I'm here for it. I like this. This is a wild experience. Okay. This next thing are called shell shocks and they look like skittles hey what's your favorite do you like skittles or starburst better probably starburst <laughs> freeze-dried candy is probably loud on the microphone to eat okay you ready these ones are original shell shocks mm, i like those freeze-dried skittle yep so imagine a skittle just like breaking apart in your mouth and crumbling yeah so thing is they're such a weird texture so they're completely different texture than what you would expect these candies to originally be. So from what I can tell, freeze drying is a, it's like a means of preservation, right? So they're, they're taking the original candy and then freeze, freeze drying it? Yeah. But it's a means of preservation for a lot of foods. And they, they say some freeze dried foods can last like 25 years. Um, and what they're doing is making the food very cold and dehydrating it. So it like freezes and forms like ice crystals in it, but then eventually those ice crystals like evaporate. Something like that. Yeah, okay, this is so interesting. This, la this next one, we got two more. This next one is peach rings. Freeze-dried so peach rings. These look like kind of a big fat peach ring with the consistency of a uh, Cheeto. Yeah, yeah, right. That's kind of, yeah. All right, let's do this one. Oh, wow. <laughs> Again, they're hard to eat and talk into a microphone at the same time. We apologize to all the moms who already think that it's gross that we eat into a microphone and have said so in this bookstore to me. <laughs> I'm, I'm in favor. That was very good. That's the hardest one so far to eat. Yeah. But again, like, it's like you're chomping into something that's like breaking apart but melting in your mouth at the same right. time. Because there's absolutely no moisture in it. So as soon as you put it in your mouth... 
yeah. it gets like moisturized and starts melting. And also, you lose you lose the moisture that's in your mouth. It's oh just, my! It's just hard to talk. Oh my goodness! Okay, the last thing here, I'm a little bit worried about. Oh, there's another one. Not in the sense that I think it's gonna be bad, but in the sense that. Look at the size of it. Oh no. It's all green too. It's like a golf ball almost. So this is salt water pickle, no salty pickle, salt water taffy. No, is it really? That's what it says. Oh no, I'm, I'm actually, I'm genuinely um, nervous about this. Okay, ready? Does it taste like a pickle? Not there yet. Okay, oh, I didn't, no. ready? Three, you like dill pickle chips. Okay, you're right. I'm, that's what I'm going to think about. Okay. I'm going to think about the chips. So okay, just think about chips. You don't like pickles, but you like dill pickle chips? I like... I, I like... You like pickles and hamburgers. Yeah. I, I'm... Um, I'm actually... I'm like legitimately nervous. Okay, ready? What did you say it is? It's um, salty pickle oh, saltwater taffy. Ready? Uh, Three, two, one. Oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> Nope. Nope. No. <laughs> sorry. Hey, sorry, Crofts. I think that one we're going to pass on. Woo. Woo. We're taking sips. We both love both pickle chips and I love pickles. I am. I eat pickles all the time. All kinds from, I like the sweet pickles, the dill pickles. You can't be too dilly. I like spicy pickles. I like pickles with garlic. I do not like that. <laughs> and I can't tell you exactly why. I think it's a disconnect it because in my it's brain. really, really gross? <laughs> I, well, I don't know. Maybe they love it. I just can't. Do, there's a disconnect going on in my brain. Do they like this one? Or is I this don't know. A, is this, okay. There's no notes about that part. Well, I feel bad that we didn't like it unless that was the point, is that it's gross and <laughs> okay. we're supposed to not like it. I Ma Matthew Croft is probably like so sad right now. In which oh, case, we like you, Matthew. We just don't like that. That is... Um, very strong. Okay. It's the dehydration somehow yeah. made it stronger. Okay, let's rank these then. So we agree that that one's the lowest, right? That is the lowest. What's your second lowest? Because I actually think that my second lowest is those um crunchers, the star the star. Oh, I like ones. that one. I mean, I, all the other ones I would say are like I bumped that up one. So what would be Put your second lowest? Maybe the skittle cuz it's just like it's good, but there's it's just kind of gone. It's like really small okay. compared to the All other right, ones. All right, so we're gonna do. There's a distance between the last one and our second to the last one. Um, so we've got the saltwater taffy that's pickle flavored. And then I would do that first one we ate, that was kind of sour. Oh, the Jolly Rancher one, the Super Puffs. Oh, it was Jolly Rancher. Um, I think the peach one is my favorite. Oh, peach one is number one. Then Jolly Rancher. Then Jolly Ranchers. Then the Starburst one. Then the Skittles one. Then there's like a gap. There's a chasm. <laughs> a There's a, yeah. Um, and then the pickly taffy. Well, I think it's also like taking something I love, which is saltwater taffy, and it's like a cruel joke. It's, well, you also like dill pickle. It's just it's a it's just the combo is like the brain. I can't process. We it. we are not going to be able to explain this to you. You need to go find freeze dried. Taffy pickle nonsense. You can go to the freezedriedcandystore.com, according to this bag, and order your own and try them. Try that on your own. Yeah. And just just for fun. Then maybe we're wrong. Maybe take a video of your of your little brother eating it so you'll have that for I'm the not, rest of your life. I'm not saying it's exactly like those um, trick 
jelly beans that you eat at Halloween, oh. but it's not not like that. <laughs> if I got this as a Birdie Bot's bean, it would be one of the worst. Although, I mean, it's better than like the like, cat food yeah, vomit or like, one, but yeah, or like boogers or whatever. Oh my word. Well, Crofts, thank you for that experience. That was a lot of fun. We apologize if you uh, really, really like that, the dill pickle, um, the salty pickle, saltwater taffy one, but uh, we didn't. So uh, otherwise, everything was delicious. <laughs> All right, we'll be going to take a quick break, and we'll be back in a second with Crazy Words. All right, we're back with... Our newest segment here on Withy Windle. Crazy words. In which I introduce or um, bring up a crazy word, one of the craziest words in the English language, and Graham tries to figure out whence it came. In other words, where did yeah. it come from and what's it mean and how did it come to be something that we use at least occasionally in daily life or in literature in our English language. There's are, a lot of strange words in there English. There are a lot of strange words. We're learning this. Hey, you know what? If, I, if you had to guess, we learned this at home at our house today. Oh. If you had to guess uh-huh. when Spanish became okay. a commonly used language, when would you guess? Just like in centuries. Spanish became a, co- like in the world. Yeah. When Spanish became a commonly used language. Yeah. In the, in the world. Not necessarily like in America, but... So this is a trick question. Is this going to be like the I, 20th century? No, it's not the 20th century. F- uh, f- I mean, I, I would think it evolved from... from uh, this is hard. The, uh, and unrelated to crazy words, mostly. Uh, uh, Take a century's guess. 10th century. According to my research, mm. after my kids asked me this very question, because I didn't know at the time, 13th century... That's late. Yeah, that's what I thought. I thought I was going late. I thought it would be a little bit earlier, yeah. Because my kid said, did English or Spanish come first? Yeah. And it turns out... Great question. Yeah, that Spanish um, came second, and it came from Italian, and there's a whole whole thing that happened with its evolution. But anyway, uh, so here we are, talking about crazy words in the English language. The word for today is... Whippersnapper. As in, that little whippersnapper was playing on my lawn again, and I threw a baseball at him. Whippersnapper. Yeah. Yeah, or, this is like when I think of like my grandparents. Uh, or gran- any grandparents. Your grandparents were whippersnappers? No, they were calling people whippersnappers. Oh, okay. So what's a whippersnapper, Graham? When I think, we hear that word, I think of somebody with a lot of energy, but also maybe a little mischievous. Maybe a little bit of a ruffian. <laughs> A ruffian, another good word. Okay. Not a hoodlum, though. No, not, okay, not, got it. I mean, got it. I, I would say it's more like uh, in jest. Uh, I can kind of tell. It sounds like uh, a mix of two words I know fairly well. Um, yeah, let's, like let's break it down. This is a compound of uh, whip and snap. And okay. you're saying that this is the person who's snapping that whip or is being snapped by it. Yeah. I, so yeah. maybe there's some energy Comes, there. It, it does come from whip snapper. Which was a person who was a cracker of whips. Yeah. Yep. So whippersnapper, uh, that's where like I feel that energy, like that person who you're calling that has. Mm. But it does still feel like a really weird word. Like (laughs) what does cracking a whip have to, I mean, you're cracking it at somebody and they're jumping and running? This is a great question. Where do you think it came from? Whip? Whip? Uh, I mean, English? 
Anglo? It's it is a it is a it, it comes from the English and what century? Speaking of centuries. Oh, uh, let's go back to your guess about the Spanish. Thirteenth. It's actually been a part of the English language since the seventeenth century. But the fun thing is that it doesn't necessarily have to have anything to do with snaps or whips exactly, except that it kind of does. Okay. So it's a mixture of two words, two, two ideas. Who would you want to whip or snap? Why would you be like snapping at someone or whipping them? To get their attention or to hold them back or to get them to move. There you go. Yeah. So it comes from the idea of a lazy person who had no ambitions, who wasn't doing what you wanted them to do, so you would snap at them or whip them to get them going. Oh, so the whippersnapper is lazy. Right. And and you, and by calling them that, you are kind of snapping the whip at them. Right. Right. Young whippersnapper. So, of course, now it's like, a, you know, a, a young person who's causing problems or just is cheeky. You or, might not be getting off of your lawn. Right, exactly, yeah. exactly. I believe the definition now is a young and cheeky or presumptuous person. Presumptuous, at the time, okay. At the time, the idea was it was somebody who you needed to get moving along. Um, and then, of course, young people are often the people who you need to, to, to move along. You know, when you're, when you're not getting up in the morning and your, your dad or your grandpa or someone says, get out of bed, you young whippersnapper! Whoa. Then... I mean, I don't know why your dad sounds like that, but yeah. your grandpa might. Yeah, maybe. Was that a spitting image vocally of your grandfather? That's actually the voice of me in the morning. Oh. So that... Uh, Rowan, get out of bed, you young whippersnapper. <laughs> yep, exactly. No, I knew, I knew it. Because I've <laughs> stayed in hotel rooms with you before until about 10 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> Can you give me my coffee, please? Oh, yeah. That, this is ringing true. Yeah, right. Ashley, how does that sound? <laughs> <laughs> so whippersnapper, it's a crazy word. And uh, it's, but it's a word that, you know, we should all be using at I least 10% would, more, I'd I say think. it's delightful. A de it's a delightful, crazy word. And I like how the definition has changed, but mm. not like crazily, right? Like right. sometimes it it's like sense, completely though. different right. than it originally was, which, I mean, that's how languages work. But, but whippersnapper one... is not a piece of candy that tastes like a pickle. It's still connected somehow to right. the original meaning. Yeah. Exactly. Well, Graham, that was, that was a good job by you. And uh, that brings us to the end of, of uh, Crazy Words. And we'll be back in just a minute with another story. Okay, we are back with story time. And it's my turn this week to surprise you with a story. I cannot wait. This is a story that is adapted from... The Canterbury Tales by Geoffrey Chaucer. Do you know about the Canterbury Tales? Yes, I've heard of that. The Canterbury Tales was, you know, a medieval bunch of stories by a guy named Geoffrey Chaucer. And they were largely <laughs> stories told by people um, and about people who were, you know, on a journey somewhere. Yes. And they were, you know, the kind of stories that were often quite comedic. The Canterbury Tales originally had 24 stories um, written at the time in Middle English, which is a different version of English than what we speak now, of course. Um, and Speaking of crazy words. Yeah, I know, right? And um, some of them are the most among the most famous stories ever. And the one that I'm going to read today is a retelling of one of those. You could probably get your parents to, to go online and you could see what that Middle English looked like. And there's even videos and audio of what it sounded like, which is very crazy. <clears throat> this one is called Chanticleer and the Fox. It's adapted by 
Barbara Cooney. Uh, there's a great uh, book of this with beautiful pictures if you ever want to check it out. So Some of you might have this on your shelf right now. You might. It's a pretty popular story, but nonetheless, I wanted to, to share it. So here we go. Chanticleer and the Fox. Once upon a time, a poor widow, getting on in years, lived in a small cottage beside a grove which stood in a little valley. This widow, about whom I shall tell you my tale, had patiently led a very simple life since the day her husband died. By careful management, she was able to take care of herself and her two daughters. She had only three large sows, three cows, and also a sheep called, what do you think the sheep's name was? Uh, bat. <laughs> no, it was Molly. No, it wasn't Bat. Nope. Okay. <laughs> Good guess, though. Her bedroom was very sooty, as was her kitchen, in which she ate many a scanty meal. She was never sick from overheating. She was never sick from overeating. Her table was usually set with only white and black milk and dark bread, of which there was no shortage. And sometimes there was broiled bacon and an egg or two, for she was, as it were, a kind of dairy woman. This sounds wonderful. You like this life? Yes. You like bacon? Uh, yes. Are you an egg guy? Yeah. Why do you like your eggs? Mmm... I like them most ways, except the ways that you like them, which is like runny. <laughs> so hey, you, will you, so will you eat fried eggs as long as there are no yolks not runny? I'll eat it with a runny yolk too if it's in like a ramen or it doesn't okay. matter. Let's get back to the okay. story. Oh yeah, sorry, sorry. She had a yard. Hey, you have a yard. Fenced all around with sticks, in which she had a rooster named Chanticleer. For crowing, there was not his equal in all the land. His voice was merrier than the merry organ that plays in church. <laughs> And his crowing from his resting place was more trustworthy than a clock. Hey, Logan, could you uh, drop in some, some hardy crows here? Oh, that was hardy. Thank you. His comb was redder than fine coral and turreted like a castle wall. His bill was black and shone like jet, and his legs and toes were like azure. His nails were whiter than the lily, and his feathers were like burnished gold. He's a beautiful animal. Now this fine rooster had seven hens, all colored exceedingly like him. You say seven heads? No, hens. Oh, okay. Do we need some hen sound effects here, just in case? <laughs> that clears it up. The hen with the prettiest throat was called fair demoiselle Partlet. She was polite, discreet, debonair, good word, and companionable, and she had conducted herself so well since the time that she was seven days old that truly she held the heart of Chanticleer all tightly locked. You know how they say that in the animal, like for in dog years, it's one year is seven years? Sure. I wonder how many uh, years in chicken life seven days is. Oh, good question. Anyway, it was a great joy to hear them sing in sweet harmony when the bright sun began to rise. For in those days, so I'm told, beasts and birds could talk and sing. And so it happened, one day at dawn, as Chanticleer sat on his perch, surrounded by the hens, that he began to groan in his throat like a man troubled by his dreams. When Partlet heard him moaning this way, she was frightened and said, Dear heart, what ails you that you groan in such a matter? Um, you want to do a quick groan for us? Um. <laughs> 
<laughs> and he answered saying, Madam, I dreamed just now that I was in much danger. I dreamed that I was roaming up and down within our yard when I saw a beast like a hound which tried to grab my body and would have killed me. His color was between yellow and red, and his tails and both his tail and both ears were tipped with black, different from the rest of his fur, like a waxwing. Mm. It doesn't say that. I'm just saying that. His snout was small and his two eyes glowed. I almost died of fear at the sight of him. Doubtless that's what caused my groaning. Go on, she said. Shame on you. You know I cannot love a coward by my faith. Haven't you a man's heart and haven't you a beard? Be merry, husband. Do not fear dreams. Um, thoughts on this, Graham? Quickly. Quickly thoughts on this, um, this, the, the way he, she speaks to her husband about his being a coward. Okay, so she calls him beardless. Uh, yeah, basically. And what was the other thing? She basically says, haven't you a man's heart and haven't you a beard? And she says that she can't be married to a coward so um uh, i mean uh sure you would respond well to this <laughs> <laughs> anyway thank you madam partlet he said for your learned advice oh. i do say that when i see the beauty of your face all scarlet red about the eyes my fears die away that's definitely what you would say too. that's exactly and with these words he flew down from the rafter along with all the hens for it was day with a clucking, he called them all to some grain, which he found lying about the yard. He was as regal as a prince in his palace and was no longer afraid. He looked like a lion as he roamed up and down on his toes. He barely set foot to the earth. Chanticleer, walking in all his pride with his seven wives beside him, cast up his eyes at the bright sun. He crowed with a happy voice. Listen how the happy birds sing and how the fresh flowers grow. My heart is full of gaiety and joy. But... Suddenly, a sorrowful event overtook him. A fox, mm. tipped with black and full of sly wickedness, had lived in the grove three years. That same night, he burst through the hedges into the yard where Fair Chanticleer and his wives were in the habit of going, and this fox lay quietly in a bed of herbs until almost noon of that day. Laying quietly in a bed of herbs until noon, that... That, yeah, that's a morning. Add some bacon and eggs in that scenario. Yeah, and then you're going to have somebody oh coming up to goodness. you and saying, let's get on with it, young whippersnapper. Well, then you could also take some of those herbs, put them on your, your eggs. It sounds wonderful. Anyway, Partlet, with all her sisters nearby, lay merrily bathing in the sand with her back to the sun and the lordly Chanticleer sang more joyfully than the mermaid in the sea. Now, it happened that as he cast his eye upon a butterfly among the herbs, Chanticleer became aware of the fox lying low. He had no desire to crow then, but at once cried, cock, cock, and started up like a man frightened in his heart. And he would have fled at once if the fox had not said, My dear sir, alas, where are you going? Are you afraid of me, your father's friend? The reason I came was only to listen to you sing, for truly you have as merry a voice as any angel in heaven. My lord, your father, God bless his soul, and also your courteous mother did me the great honor of visiting my house. Except for you, I have never heard anyone who could sing as your father did in the morning. In order to make his voice stronger, he would close both his eyes, and he would stand on his tiptoes and stretch forth his long, slender neck. Now, sing, sir, for holy charity. Let's see whether you can sing as well as your father. This is a very eloquent and perhaps sly fox. You know, it's a thing about foxes, mm. right? Well, Chanticleer began to beat his wings. He stood high on his toes and stretched his neck, closed his eyes, and he crowed loudly. At once the fox jumped up, grabbed Chanticleer by the throat, and carried him toward the woods. Alas, that Chanticleer flew down from the rafters. Alas, that his wife took no heed of his dreams. And all this trouble came on a Friday. <laughs> <laughs> Just ruins the weekend. 
The cows, the sheep, and even the hogs, so frightened were they by the shouting, ran after him too. They ran so hard they thought their hearts would burst. The neighbors' ducks quacked as if they were to be killed, and their geese from fear flew over the trees. The noise was so terrible that the bees swarmed from their hives. It seemed that heaven would fall. Now, good people, I beg you to listen. This rooster in the fox's mouth spoke to the fox in spite of his fear, saying, Sir, if I, if I were you, so help me God, I would say, Turn back, you proud peasants. I have reached the edge of the wood now. The rooster shall stay here. In spite of you, I will eat him in faith and not be long about it. In, in faith, the fox answered, It shall be done. And as soon as he spoke the words, the rooster nimbly broke away from his mouth and flew at once into a tree. When the fox saw that the rooster was gone, he said, Ah, oh, Chanticleer, alas, I have done you a bad turn. I frightened you when I grabbed you and took you out of the yard. But, sir, I did it without evil intention. Calm down, I'll tell you what I meant. Hmm. What should he do? Hmm. <laughs> Nay, said Chanticleer, never again shall you with your flattery get me to sing with my eyes closed. <laughs> For he who closes his eyes when he should watch, God let him never prosper. No, said the fox, but God bring misfortune to him who is so careless about his self-control as to prattle when he should hold his peace. See, said the widow as the fox slunk into the grove, that is the result of trusting in flattery. And she marched with her flock back to the yard in the little valley. The end. You think he's still up in that tree to this day? Mm, I feel like the, the lady in the, the farm probably brought him. Brought, carried oh, him that's home. nice. Yeah. And then she probably got a dog or something to fight off the foxes in the future. That's a wonderful story. Thanks for bringing that one. You're welcome. Thanks to Jeffrey Chaucer for coming up with that one. Also to uh, Barbara Cooney for adapting it. Great book. And the illustrations are really, really beautiful. All right. That brings us to the end of story time. Up next, in just a second, we are going to introduce you to this week's guest. But before we get to the, the author conversation, we need to take a quick break and tell you about a contest that we are participating in and, and helping promote. Graham, what holiday is coming up in a couple weeks? That would be, oh, Halloween. That's the one. The one where you, you know, you get dressed up and you, you have to come up with a costume and... Um, and you get candy. And you get candy and you walk around and your legs get tired and then everyone goes home and doesn't sleep for six weeks and then has to go to the dinner. <laughs> yeah, that one, yeah. But the most important part is the costumes. So you'll need a costume idea this year, right, Graham? No, oh, I definitely do. You don't have one already? Not yet. I'm, I'm very – I have like grand ambitions uh, and then uh, usually it's right Let at the guess. deadline. You're going to wear a hoodie and then you're going to wear a straw hat with it. Oh, that sounds... Be, you're just going to add the straw hat so you're normal. Yes, that... Uh, well, we'll talk about it, but okay, I, I haven't right. decided. Okay. Well, there's a new book coming out that we think can help you come up with a new costume. It's a collection of Aesop's fables, which means it's full of wise birds and sneaky foxes, like the one you just read about, and <laughs> foolish children. And our friends at the Circe Institute, who are publishing it, are doing a fun costume contest in celebration of this new forthcoming book. Now, you and I both did work on this a little bit. I did some layout on the inside. You worked on the cover. So there's a connection to us as well. Mm -hmm. We are excited about this book coming out. If you dress up like a character from Aesop's fables, post a picture on Instagram or on Facebook, and then enter the tag Circe Press. So hashtag C-I-R-C-E-P-R-E-S-S or hashtag, well, and hashtag Aesop, A-E-S-O-P. Then you get entered to win a free copy of this book. 
signed by both of us. We like to sign the covers and, you know, have some fun little additions that Graham will sometimes add to, uh, to, to these covers. So don't worry, there won't be only one winner or even two winners, but there will be three lucky winners. So Graham, how can people be entered uh, to win this again? And then how can they learn more about this book? To be entered to win, have either post on your own account or have your parents post the picture of you in a costume inspired by Aesop's Fables uh, with the hashtag C-I-R-C-E. P-R-E-S-S, Circe Press, one word. And then to learn more about the book, it's not out yet, and it's not even out on pre-order yet, but, but it, it will be, very will soon. be soon yeah. Yeah. at org slash books. And we'll post that in the show notes as well. So very excited about this book where it's it's going to be really good. And, you know, if you are looking for a costume or want a chance to win this book or just to participate in this contest... Because uh, we are going to be involved in helping choose the winners. That's then, right. Uh, and we, I mean, maybe you already have your uh, costume picked out for Halloween. Maybe you're going to be Darth Vader. Or maybe you're not going to go trick-or-treating at all. Or maybe you're not at all. And you just want to flex your creative muscles and come up with a costume for fun. Go do it. This sounds great. And, this is, and, even if, and you don't have to get us the pictures posted on Halloween. Just do it by November 6th and post it with that hashtag. And that, so that gives you some runway if you're not trick-or-treating or you want to do something else or on Halloween or whatever. So there's a little bit of flexibility there. So thank you to Cersei Institute for sponsoring this episode as well. All right. Let's tell everyone about our guest. She is named Carolyn Leiloglu. She lives in San Antonio, Texas with her husband, Demetrios, who is a pediatrician and they have four kids. Uh, Carolyn's uh, stories and poems have been published in over a dozen children's magazines, including Highlights and Ladybug and Cricket and The School Magazine and Clubhouse Junior. She was a finalist for the 2018 Catherine Patterson Prize, and her picture book, Libraries Most Wanted, was a 2021 Willa Literary Award finalist in children's fiction and nonfiction. Her new book is called Beneath the Swirling Sky, and it's about a house full of paintings, a missing sister, and a family secret. Uh, that send a boy and his cousin into a world where art is the key. If you like the Wingfeather books uh, or the Pages and Co. books, it's a great option for you. And she tells us a little bit about that in just a second. So without further ado, here is our conversation with Carolyn Leilaglu. All right, we are here with Carolyn Leilaglu. Did I get that right, Carolyn? Yes, perfect. <laughs> All right, Carolyn Leilaglu. Carolyn, thank you so much for coming on Withy Window. We are very excited to have you here, uh, here on the third episode of season six. You're not as excited as I am, so just to let you know. <laughs> well, I, hey, you, you know what, Graham? We we have a guest who listens to the show. Woo-hoo. Yeah, finally. <laughs> like, yes, oh, I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, actually, I'm sure there's other guests. There, I know for a fact there are other guests that have listened. But Carolyn, this yeah. is really exciting to have you here. As you know, the the kids have sent in questions. And you know we're gonna you you kind of know how this works. You've listened. Yeah. You you get the structure of these conversations. So we're just gonna dig right in to the first question. As you know, it's the most important question that you're going to yes. get. You probably had time to pre- prepare because you knew what was coming. I have yes. So Carolyn, Cheetos or Doritos? I've given this a lot of thought because I really like both, but I'm gonna have to go with Cool Ranch Doritos. Okay. Yeah. Now, do you have like a, a big reason for it? You know, sometimes people say, well, Cheetos are too messy and I'm an illustrator. I mean, do you have you, what's, you said you gave it a lot of thought. What well, does that mean? I, I don't feel as great after eating Cheetos as, <laughs> okay. as I would like. Okay. I, yeah, I like all, I like all of them. I like I, even the puffy ones that people don't like the puffy Cheetos. I do like those too, but um, I just don't give me the flaming Hot. My kids love those, but I just cannot. <laughs> and yet you're choosing the Doritos. 
I'm choosing the Doritos. Okay. Yes. Cool ranch. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I think it might have to do with Carolyn being from Texas and there are a lot of cool ranches around where she lives, <laughs> I imagine. Well, there's even a cool ranch in my book, right? <laughs> Graham, Graham, um, you were supposed to use your jokes at the beginning of the episode, not <laughs> not in during the during the. I, I mean, at least the don't at least fine. the uh, dad jokes. It's hard to turn down a good pun. It's, it's true. all good. Your it's brain true. tries to stop it, but you know, <laughs> Carolyn. <laughs> uh, before he uh, takes us too much further down that trail, uh, <laughs> coffee or tea. Yes, please. Thank you very much. I, I appreciate okay. them. <laughs> yeah, I, I like them both. I drink uh, cold brew coffee in the morning, and then like I have a throat coat tea right right now. Okay. So if it's the afternoon, I do tea, um, but usually like water and diet coke, honestly. So. Okay. So so you're. I mean, you're just an equal opportunity beverage. Yeah. If I have something to drink, enjoyer. I'm good. <laughs> All right. Uh, uh, cookies or cake? We don't always get to this to this one, and yeah. I'm always sad when we don't because this is like a really. I, I'm really curious about this. I have a very non-traditional, non-conformist answer for you, and that is pie. Uh, <laughs> it's actually much mm. better than either. Which kind or cake? What's your favorite pie? We're talking oh, like a chocolate love, cream pie or like a fruit pie? I mostly fruit pies. Yeah, definitely fruit pies. Um, but yeah, I'm not a big cake person. I like a pound cake, but not not much else. Um, and cookies, you know, like they could be okay or or great, or you you never know. But pies are just generally awesome. <laughs> so does this have to do with being from Texas? I don't think so. <laughs> okay. Okay. I think we need to investigate this a bit. The, you said you, you don't like cake unless it's pound cake. I've never yes. heard anybody say that in my life before. <laughs> What, what is the my mom? Of- my mom used to always make pound cake. It just is really buttery. Like I, th- I think that's what I like about it. It's really, really good. And that was probably the only cake that she made, like homemade, like not not a box okay. cake. My dad couldn't have a lot of cakes because he's lactose intolerant. So that was probably that was like one of the ones he could have. Yeah, so that it was okay. I think yeah. Need to investigate Graham here. You, Graham, seem skeptical about the notion of pound cake. It's pound just, cake is delicious. What is wrong with just you? Fancy bread. Let's just call it no. Uh, just, yeah, okay, it's hold like, on. Pause it. Like even if loaf. we ex- even if we accept the notion that it's fancy bread, you just said something that sounds amazing. Oh, fancy bread I, is yeah, amazing. I like fancy I bread. Like sounds cake. amazing. I like pound cake. It's just <laughs> yeah, now he's um, <laughs> it's just a cake that is uh, a beige, uh, b no icing. <laughs> But it doesn't uh, need well, the icing. It. it doesn't need anything. I'm just going to stop there. Those are the two things. Beige, no icing. <laughs> All right, well, you, you seem to have strong feelings about this. That's, that's fine. Let's move on. All right. Um, Graham, you got a question? Uh, do I have a question? Yes. Okay. So, uh, Carolyn, as, <laughs> He's like, <I> you, <laughs> as, as you'll hear from some of the questions, some of the kids are familiar with your work. Uh, but for those who aren't, I thought maybe you could tell us a bit about your new book, uh, Beneath the Swirling Sky. Just kind of a two-minute elevator pitch on what this book okay. is about. Yeah. So Beneath the Swirling Sky is the story of Vincent. He's a kid who has given up on art after a bad experience. But when he is dropped off at his uncle's art-filled ranch house in Texas, um, he finds he can't get away from it and ends up learning his family are the last 
context of the Restorationists. They're a secret society with the ability to travel through art and the duty to protect it. So when his little sister, Lily, uh, wanders into the starry night, he and his cousin, Georgia, are the only ones who are able to go rescue her. Mm. So, okay, this, there's a question that, that is like a perfect segue here, and it is from Sam. So Sam wants to know, who is your favorite artist and do you have a favorite painting? So is it Starry Night? I mean, is that... I would say, yeah. Yeah, okay. it, it really is. Van Gogh is my favorite. Okay. And um, Starry Night is just a, a powerful painting. Like, I feel like the way he paints the sky is the way the sky feels. Like, if you go out and see the Milky Way mm. and, you know, that's the way the sky feels. It's not the way it actually looks. But um, so I, I love that. The painting has so much movement in it. And um, mm. I've got and to see it in person twice and just like the way the paint stands off the canvas like he used such mm-hmm. thick brush strokes there's just really so much to it um unfortunately they move you along pretty quickly because everyone wants yeah. to see it um but yeah it's just a phenomenal um really moving painting back in may my wife and i were in england and one of the highlights was going to the national galleries there and they had van gogh's sunflowers painting yeah and first of all everybody's around it and what they're doing is they're taking you know, selfies where they're not facing the painting. It's their phone is facing the painting and they're just in front of the painting. It's all very confusing and and, uh, bleak. But um, when you get up, when you see the painting, you can see, I've never really experienced what you're describing there where the, you can see just how much paint is on this painting and has been there for so long. And like the textures and all that, it's, it's so cool to see an original painting like that, where you can, you could, you can't touch it obviously, but you can almost feel it just by seeing it up close. It was really, um, like, there's not many works of art that are like that other than painting. You can read a book or watch a movie Mm -hmm. or listen to music, but you can't interact with an original and the textures like you can in painting. Mm -hmm. And I was really, I thought that was really fascinating and moving. So this is a cool idea for a book. Thanks. (laughs) Carolyn, have you always been into art? Um, So my mom was an art major in college. She taught art before I was born and my grandparents were art collectors. So actually, you know, Uh every time I visited their house, it was like walking into a, like a cozy museum. Um, There'd be paintings on every wall. And, and so I always enjoyed looking at paintings and I think I always knew, you know, my mom would tell us stuff about art, like explain color theory or, um, forced perspective or like, you know, yeah, yeah. tell us a little bit about artists, not like in a yeah, art major stuff, sit, sit down and, <laughs> and learn this kind of way, but like in a really natural way. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I always enjoyed looking at paintings, going to museums and, and stuff like that. Um, and then, yeah, their, their house, my grandparents' house is actually the basis for the, um, ranch house in, uh, beneath the swirling sky. No, oh, that's cool. Okay. So there's just there's a question from Parker. How did you come up with the story? Can you go a little bit more into that? Like, yeah, you obviously have the art interest in the ranch, but how did all that come together and become a novel? No, yes, David. Yes. Be- before we get oh. to that, I need to yeah. follow up. Um, okay, you said all your right. parents hold, were, hold that thought. <laughs> you okay. said your parents were art collectors. My grandparents, yeah. Your grandparents. So mm-hmm. were they the type that acquired like their art at auctions, or were they the type that went to museums after dark, like through the window? <laughs> And to get there. <laughs> oh, um, collection. incidentally, this is going to come up in future, uh, maybe in the related to a quiz that's coming up later. <laughs> okay. It's a quiz about her grandparents. Well, what's interesting is, so they were, I don't know about auctions or anything, like they had already had 
pretty much all their artwork by the time I was a child. My grandfather died when I was fairly youngish so that, you know, the collection was complete before then. But um, they actually had a painting stolen from them. They uh, used mm. to have an art gallery uh, on the Riverwalk in San Antonio. And um, one day two guys walked in with a box cutter and cut a Norman Rockwell from the frame and ran and they never recovered it. So <laughs> that That's was tragic. Yeah. How do you... There's I have lots of thoughts about stealing very famous paintings because I'm confused a little bit about the the saleability of them. But anyway, that's another. Yeah, I think a lot of times the thieves don't really think through it beforehand. So a lot of uh, what I've learned from my research is a lot of paintings I think just get trashed. Oh, and, um, this quiz yeah. is going to be unbelievable for you in a few minutes. It's going to be <laughs> it's going to be great. You're gonna you're gonna ace this one. Awesome. Um, so as far as you know, your your grandparents were not. Uh, they weren't committing art heists. As far as I know, there were no art heists involved. Yeah. They were probably more on the, the restorationist side. <laughs> Got it. Okay. 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 <laughs> okay. So then going back to my question about how this kind of became turned into a novel for you, how did that happen? I think my interest for art had been kind of rekindled um, at Hutchmoot a couple years back or several years back um, yes. with Russ Ramsey's talks before he had um, his uh, book out. I don't know if you've read... Uh, um, Rembrandt is in the wind. Yeah, but, my wife loves um, that book. Yeah, it's phenomenal. Um, and then I was in a little writing seminar where they were trying to help us brainstorm. And they said, think back to the most magical place in your childhood. And for me, it was just hands down my grandparents' house for a lot of reasons, not just the paintings. But um, upstairs, they had kind of a creepy upstairs. And there was one room <laughs> that just literally had stacks of paintings that they didn't have room for. So that mm. was kind of the jumping off spark place. Like, wh what if there was a house that had a room like this? Like, why Why would there be a room full of paintings? What could happen? Like, you know, so that was what I started thinking about. And um, that's where the idea came from. It's cool. A creepy room full of paintings. <laughs> <laughs> Graham. Should we do the one about the favorite character next? Or should we do the one about... No, let's do that one. Let's do that one about her favorite character. Before we move on, I don't want to go too far from her book. Okay, for, from Jessica. Uh, yeah, she wants to know if you have a favorite character from your own book. I love all the characters. But I will say yeah. Georgia was really fun to write. <laughs> that's the um, cousin, I've, right? I've, that's the, Yeah, she's the second mm -hmm. cousin. I've had a lot of people tell me that she's their favorite also, which is great because book two is going to be from her perspective, not the same story from her persp perspectives. People have gotten confused when I've said that, but like the continuation of the story, but now from her perspective. So she's a lot of fun. How many books do you see this being? It's a three book series. Yeah. I've oh yeah, you finished, already have that, right? I've, yeah, I've already finished yeah, yeah. book two. It's been edited. Um, and I have to get going on book three pretty soon. Yeah. <laughs> So, so like you, how far into the writing process are you? Like you have the whole thing sketched out. You have all the ideas, like, you know, how it's going to end. I do know how pretty much how it's going to end. I have kind of a synopsis written out, but my editor has not approved it yet. I need to send it to her. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I need to make a few tweaks before she sees that and <laughs> we will, we will see what she says. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 So, I mean, I'm sure that's a, it's like probably pretty cool to be able to know that you're doing three books, but also there's some pressure. Yes, that's what I didn't really expect. I mean, when you're writing a first book in a series, it's on spec and you kind of have all the time right. in the world. So I probably spent a couple of years on it. And then when you turn around and you're like, well, now you need to write the next book, except you can't start that yet because we're going to go through a couple of rounds of editing. And then, so it's really much less time than you think. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, uh, continuing yeah. on 
uh, now that we're talking about process just a little bit, um, Holly has a has a process-related question. Actually, two. She wants to know, what writing platform do you use? Well, that's interesting. And how did you find a publisher? Okay. These are great oh, questions. Yeah, I don't know if we get that so, one. Ho- too Holly often. must be a little older, aspiring writer there. So <laughs> I use Scrivener. I really love it. Um, I'm always actually bummed when um when edits come back from my editor and I have to transition to using Word. <laughs> um, because Scrivener is definitely where I prefer to write and keep ideas and um it's it's easy to find things and move things around and um add research to it because these books were rather research heavy. Mm. Um I was mm. like, why didn't I just write a straight fantasy? Why did it get connected <laughs> to the real world facts? Yeah. Um so <laughs> next next um, series. Yeah, seriously. Yes. Yeah, so Scrivener is my number one. And then how did I find a publisher? So for this book, this publisher, this is actually, I'm with my third publisher, second sure. agent. So I had broken up with my first agent, which was really kind of a difficult decision. Um, and it was in 2020. I ended up going to a an online Christian children's writers conference. And um, kind of not thinking, I'd never written for the Christian market before. I hadn't really thought that's what I was doing. And I'd actually already started The Restorationist, thinking I'm writing this book that hopefully it's not too Christian for the secular market, but I didn't think it was Christian enough for the Christian market. But it kind of was, after hearing all the agents and editors talking, it was kind of what they were looking for is like this kind of crossover type book similar to Wing Feather Saga or something like that. So um, I actually found an agent through that conference and my editor. And so it just kind of all the details <laughs> lined up. And yeah, so conferences definitely can be a great way uh, to find agents and editors and publishers, all that. Mm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The inside inside baseball stuff, as yeah. people <laughs> so, who are inside so, baseball say. Yeah. Uh, putting yourself out there and finding a network and plugging in. I think that oh, yeah. seems yeah really important. Um, so your your book is kind of about painting, wandering. And if you've listened <laughs> to this show before, you know that there's a question about book wandering that has come up. This is a question Audrey asked, I think sometime last season, and we've really enjoyed asking it of our guests. So the question is, if you could book wander into any classic book, such as, you know, Tom Sawyer, The Secret Garden, which classic would you choose and why? And I think this is an interesting one, just co- considering the context like of the world that your book takes place in. I think it yeah. applies to you really well. Hmm. Let's see. Um, I'm really tempted to say The Voyage of the Dawn Treader that I get seasick. Mm. So I'm going to have to nix that. And I... <laughs> <laughs> it's probably smart. <laughs> I am going to say this might be a really unconventional one, but like Alice in Wonderland, just because oh. I love how weird it is. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't seem like super dangerous place. Like, you know, mm. some some book places are pretty dangerous, but like, it's just so wacky. And uh, I think that would be an interesting book to wander into. <laughs> yeah, That's a great I answer. The question I have is, if I'm book wandering, how quickly can I get out? Like is there a, is there like a yes? Because after a while, that once get a the queen bit weird. says "off with your head," I want to <laughs> be out of there. <laughs> yeah, you want to be able to press the button yeah. and just like or just like close your eyes and tap your toes or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty Parker, sure with that one you'd need uh, some sort of vial you'd have to drink to get out. Right. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, let's do a couple more before we get to the quiz. Okay, uh, this one comes from Laura. Uh, she wants to know uh, where you grew up. 
and if that informed your writing at all. Yes. Um, so I grew up here in San Antonio, Texas, which is where I still live. Uh, I had a couple stints where I wasn't here, but um, generally, um, and I actually, we lived with my grandparents for a short stint when we had moved from Arlington back to San Antonio. So I actually lived in that house that um, I said inspired the book. So being in San Antonio and and near my grandparents, that definitely helped inspire it. And then also, um, I kind of, they also had a ranch. So the book is really their house kind of transplanted into their ranch land is mm. that's how I conceive of it and how I, you know, explore it in my mind. Um, so I'm really writing about a real place. So that's kind of a, a fun, a fun thing about it. So when you were a kid, did you have favorite favorite books that, you, that oh, yeah. are still favorites now? Sure, yeah. I mean, any of the any of the Narnia books, and I think I mentioned Voyage of the Dawn Treader before, which ironically, um, that was my favorite Narnia book, and I never even thought about the fact that those kids enter Narnia through a painting. And then I started writing a book about kids going <laughs> oh, into yeah, paintings. Yeah, yeah. Someone pointed that out to me, and I was like, oh. I did do that, didn't I? Um, so definitely that one. And, and not just because of the painting, just, I mean, there's so many scenes in that book that just stick with me even now, like, you know, Eustace and going to the pool and Aslan having to, you know, help him with the dragon scales. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, <laughs> it's uh, the I reap a cheap with the, where the water turns sweet. And yeah, that's just, that book for one is just so powerful, yeah. It's yeah, my it's, favorite. It's one of the best. All right, so is that your favorite? Is, can I just quickly follow? Is that your favorite yeah. of all the Narnia books? Then, like that, you'd put that top for sure. What's your second then? Um, that's a lot more difficult. When I was a kid, my second was actually the Last Battle. Believe it or not, mm-hmm. um, mainly because of the ending. Uh, not really because of. I mean, like it's a kind of a tough book. Like right. there's a lot of stuff that happens in there. So uh, yeah. I know my kids didn't really like it at first. I, the horse on his boy, I didn't like as a kid, but that one's really grown on me. So that might be my second favorite, possibly. But I'm not. I'm not. I'm not going to commit. I'm not going to. I, <laughs> I know. Wasn't last battle really high on your list, David, for a long time? It is in my top half. Top seven. <laughs> yeah, my, <laughs> he's in my top four of the seven. Voyage <laughs> is my favorite. Yeah. yeah, Last Battle is the one my son, um, it's at the bottom for him because I probably read it mm-hmm. to him too early. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, Tash is a little bit scary. So uh, that yeah, might have been uh, one of my one of my only and few parenting mistakes. The, uh, ever the one that I like the best, like <laughs> more, more now as an adult than I did when I was a kid is the silver chair. I didn't like that one as much, mm-hmm. but as oh, a little yeah. kid, now I like it a lot. I loved Horse and His Boy when I was a kid too. Anyway, well, I might have to I might have to change the silver chair because I did like that. That was probably my third as a kid, and that might, yeah, it might be tied with that and the the horse and his boy. That's got a lot of different kinds of story in it. The silver chair does yeah. like different kinds of books. Anyway, Graham, we're kind of uh, off the questions here. Do you want to uh, write the ship here? Yeah, no we cannot. But intended. wandering into Narnia is always a good that, idea. That's so a great. That's a great point. <laughs> All right. Yes. So uh, this question is from Eliana. If you had to choose one thing to save from a burning house not a person or a pet what would it be is it my house yeah uh my burning house or someone else's burning house i think it's yours one thing oh my goodness i don't know i would be that it would be that norman rockwell canvas you stole i do not i do not have 
I do not you know, don't know where that is. Rockwell Canvas. <laughs> Just that's what they so would, that's what she would say. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> I think we broke the case, Graham. <laughs> mm-hmm. I honestly, I would probably, depending on like what stage of like book writing and stuff, if I feel like my my manuscript's not backed up, I might be grabbing my laptop. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So that's probably what would happen, so honestly. I read just recently about a, who was this? There was a guy, oh no, there's a novel that's getting, it's from the 1890s and it's, I don't remember what it's called, but it was about writers and it's about four different writers at different stages of success. And one of the plot points is that this writer who's just getting, he's just looking like his career might be taking off, is his manuscript is in his apartment building and the apartment building gets on fire and he has to decide whether to help a homeless person or go to his manuscript. And oh, that's wow. a big plot point in this story. And this novel is, is from the 1890s. So there were no computers on which these things were so backed up, like of a, course. A, yeah, it was a, a big, big stack of papers. Yeah, like a little Didn't women. Didn't have right? free hands. Okay. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> so I don't know exactly. I don't know what he chooses, but I just heard that this book is getting is having like a moment again 130 years later. So anyway. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I don't remember what it's called, so that's not helpful, but you know. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, Graham, let's do this one here about if you could go back in time from Torin, so Torin wants to know if you could go back in time to any, if you go back to any place in time, which decade would you go to? This is one we get to ask every now and then. With so because your books travel in time-ish, I thought this would be a good one for you. Hmm. hmm. Goodness, I don't know. That's a really difficult one. Like you know, I wouldn't want to go for that long, probably because you know, air conditioning and showers and stuff. But like, right? Um, yeah, I think. Like the medieval times are just really fascinating to me. Mm. Like, you know, how people lived and the clothing and the knights and the all of that stuff, the chivalry. Um, I think that would be interesting um, if it was very brief. <laughs> you want to just like check it out, but be able to yes. come back once you started to feel like you were a getting very a short cold. trip. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Before you start, I have the plague. Like, yes. <laughs> but then you, can you, when you, when you time travel, can you bring diseases back to the future? That would be so bad. Oh, no. Like, yeah. Yeah. We, we got to think through that before we let the yeah, science go we got to understand the rules of this. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> let's go. Let's jump to our quiz here. I've got a quiz. Um, Graham, can you guess what the the quiz is themed on? Uh, I would think it would be on uh, paint. It's it's on stolen paint. It, it, Carolyn, this stolen is... Stolen paint? A, this is a quiz on heists. <laughs> Yes. Aha. <laughs> it's yes. Stolen paint from Home Depot. I might actually be prepared for this. <laughs> right. This is a quiz on art heist, famous art heist. I have six questions for you. Oh, wow. Graham, oh, um, wow. ambitious. We'll need you to keep track of how she does here. All right. Is one of them the thing that happened to my grandparents? Or, <laughs> uh, well, I mean, I might have to switch a question out yeah, uh, okay. to, to that That's one. Fair. But this is the official art heist quiz for Carolyn Leilaglu. All right, all right. Here we go. All right, let me all bring right, up Carolyn. my let me bring up my grading matrix here. Okay. Okay. Very right. I mean, we're going to still have to send it off anyway, so it's going to take six to eight weeks to get the results back. Yeah. But, uh, on. Unofficial results from from Graham. Okay. So Carolyn, in 1911. Mona Lisa. We all know the Mona Lisa. Probably the, the most, would you say maybe one of the most famous pieces in the world was stolen from the Louvre mm-hmm. by a person doing what job? And I've got four options for you here. Alright, so the Mona Lisa was stolen by a person doing what job? A. It was an Italian handyman. B. It was a Bulgarian working as a curator at the museum. <laughs> 
C, an American tourist, or D, a Texan author doing research for a book. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't get there fast enough because it was actually the Italian handyman. I I do know this. Yeah, I actually re- just read uh, the Mona Lisa vanishes. Yeah, uh, which was fantastic. Um, so yes, it was the you, Italian. You were. Going to be uncommonly prepared for this quiz, given the research. <laughs> this is actually a hard one. The research. You go soft. Uh, uh, we'll see. You'll. We'll see. Okay. Was it, didn't he, didn't he, uh, Did you hear that? She said that your quizzes are soft. Didn't didn't <laughs> the Italian handyman steal it to bring it back to like its homeland? Was that correct? I mean, like eventually, you're like, was that really your point? Like, who knows? It's it uh, there's also hung around this for a big while, right? rumor. There's this big rumor actually about it that I thought was true actually in my research and then found out when I read that book that it was true that um, someone had actually paid the, the Italian handyman to set, uh, to steal it and then never collected it because he had actually sold six different forgeries of it. But that's apparently false. <laughs> <laughs> so I read that apparently in my uh, my just extremely copious amount of research that I did for this quiz <laughs> that apparently the Mona Lisa was not actually as famous as it is now prior exactly. to this heist. Exactly. It became more famous after it got stolen. Yes. So if you ever want to be famous, let that be, you know, just have someone... <laughs> yeah, get kidnapped. Get kidnapped, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. How is she doing so far, Graham? Uh, from what I can tell, I've... I've Italian handyman was correct, carried the one, and I think that's... Uh, <laughs> she's got one correct. Okay, here's a, here's a question two. In 2010, a masked man, thought to have acted alone, crept into uh, Paris's Musée d'Art Moderne. I can't pronounce French, but, you know, the Paris's Modern Art Museum. Mm-hmm. And slipped out with five priceless paintings, including a Picasso, a Matisse, a Modigliani, and two other ones which I don't have in front of me, collectively worth $70 million at the time. What was this masked man's nickname? Had a nickname. This is, this is true. He had a nickname. A, really good climber thief guy. Hmm. <laughs> B, the cat burglar. C, Spider-Man. Or D, he who brings shame on the French people. Uh, can you say that in French? I cannot. <laughs> I do not know what it is in French. I do not know the answer to this. Um, I'm assuming the phrase cat burglar was around before 2010. So I bet it was he who brings shame on the French people. <laughs> I don't know. Is that correct? No. It, don't just just, it's, it, just imagine that it's a nickname. It's not it's not like a it's phrase. A <laughs> <laughs> okay, then I'm going to go with the cat burglar. It is a- no? it is actually Spider-Man. No. Vieren, That's crazy. Vieren Tomich, who came to be known as Spider-Man for scaling the sides of buildings for entry and who honed his parlor skills as a teen scaling gravestones and mausoleums of a Paris cemetery. He was convicted Man. for eight years in prison. Along with went to jail. So, they, but again, they don't... I know, that's the thing. I, they don't know where the paintings are to this day because they're unsellable on the open market because you don't steal very famous paintings because no one will buy them because they're very famous. All right. Well, that was if you can if you find his web, you'll find the paintings. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Seems yeah, obvious right. to me. I know. But... Well, that's how they caught him, I guess. Um, but they just haven't found that particular web. Okay. Here's the third question. 
On a dark and stormy night in 1969, thieves entered the oratory of San Lorenzo in Palermo, Italy, and walked away with a painting by Caravaggio. It's called Nativity with St. Francis and St. Lawrence. And it was hung above the altar, and it's from 1600, roughly, either 1600 or 1609. So, in the years since, a whole bunch of theories have been floated about what may have happened to the work. Okay? So, which of the following is not an actual theory about what happened to it? Okay? Okay. One of these is not a theory. The mafia took it. Mice ate it. A Swedish art dealer told the thieves to cut it up since no one would buy a stolen painting so famous. Or D, an author took it while researching for a book. <laughs> hmm. So one of those let's is see. not an actual theory by experts. Okay, let's see. I am probably going to go... With, I know I didn't take it while researching, so I'm going to go with that as being not the theory. <laughs> That's true. It is, okay. it is not that an author took it while researching a book. That's good. The, it is a theory that mice may have eaten it. Which That's I, really mice, sad. And actually, there's also another theory that pigs ate it. So mice are pigs. So um, I, if that's the case, then boy, is that a brutal and way to go out for that most of those theories, painting. it's destroyed, which is really sad. I know. I know. Caravaggio yeah. um, is a 400-plus-year-old painting that wow. we still How don't many, know where it is. And, okay, isn't Caravaggio... Isn't that going to be a large canvas? And you do, like, big paintings. I mean, it was above an altar. Yeah, yeah, that's got to be a lot of mice. Like... How many mice does it take to they eat work together. a Caravaggio? They work together. Remember the mice okay. in that's, Narnia? Yeah, okay. They eat Aslan's bonds. They they work together. Yeah, that's yeah. true. All that's right. true. Graham, is that another question for her, though? How many mice does it take to eat a Caravaggio? <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> All right, so she's two for three so far. All right, here's question four. Which of the following works of art... This, this, is, um, this actually is a little bit tough, so we'll talk you through it. Okay, so which of the following works of art... <laughs> is considered the most stolen work of art ever. Okay. Mm-hmm. Vincent van Gogh's Starry Night, which is funny, you know. <laughs> Munch's The Scream, the Ghent alt piece, or the novel the author wrote after having stolen the Mona Lisa. Mm. <laughs> so which of these is the most, is considered to be the most stolen work of art ever? I feel like... The scream has been stolen more than once. So what were the so the twice. scream? I'll give you a hint. The scream has okay. been stolen twice. Have something else been stolen more than twice? Starry Night or the Ghent altarpiece? I will give you a hint. Yes, something has been stolen more than okay. once. And by by more than more than twice, I mean many more than twice. I don't remember anything about Starry Night being stolen, but maybe I just don't know. Don't uh, I'm going to say the Ghent either. altarpiece. It is. It's the Ghent altarpiece. Now. It was painted by Flemish artists in the 15th century. And since then, I'm just going to list... This thing is... Okay. This thing is 14 feet wide and 11 feet high. And it weighs... Guess how much it weighs. Just guess. A thousand pounds. Two tons. No. It weighs two tons. 14 feet wide and 11 feet high, weighing more than two tons. Is it stolen by elephants? It's been stolen (laughs) at least seven times. So here's a couple. In the 16th century, the Calvinists tried to... because of it was in a Catholic church in Belgium. Right. The Calvinists tore it down and tried to burn it. That didn't work out. In 1794, Napoleon swiped several panels of it, which ended up in the Louvre. In the 19th century, um, a crooked cleric, this is the phrase I got online, a crooked cleric in cahoots with an art dealer 
<laughs> stole the wing panels, which then ended up in a museum in Berlin. In World War One, almost all of them ended up back home in Belgium. But then in World War, in 1934, thieves stole the lower left panel, demanding a ransom, which was never paid. That never turned up again. Then mm-hmm. during World War II, the Nazis stole a bunch of it because Hitler believed it was a, it included a coded map to ancient Christian relics. Then, um, <laughs> then after World War II, the um, they were it was like, recovered by the um, like art. national treasure and uh, right. yeah. World War yeah, II. Exactly. Oh, man, you're giving exactly. me a lot of ideas. Maybe for I know some <laughs> you, cool you're stuff. welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> but uh, does but that even count? Let me just say. Because you're not saying the whole thing has been stolen multiple times. Just parts of it have been stolen. I'm not well, even sure that that totally counts. I mean, <laughs> I, I well, you still got it right. So Okay, okay. All right. Uh, question five. We've got two more questions left for you. Probably know about this one. One of the most infamous art heists ever was at the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum in Boston. When thieves got away, she with 13 artworks in, and you can tell I got this from an English website, in a car boot which is another word, which is what they call trunks valued. And it's valued. They were valued at a staggering half a billion dollars. So they include a, a Rembrandt of a Vermeer, a Monet and a Degas. Here's the thing. When entering the museum, the thieves uttered a very famous line, at least to art experts, you know, when they walked in the museum and they got things started by, by declaring one of the following four things. Okay. Which, what did they say? Okay. Did they say, please, sir, may I have some more? Did they say, it's okay, I'm working on a novel. Did they say, you got to ask yourself a question. Do you feel lucky? Well, do you, punk? Or did they say, gentlemen, this is a robbery? Gentlemen, this is a robbery. That is correct. They walked into the museum. They said, gentlemen, this is a robbery. And they, I believe they bound and gagged the yeah, museum guards they were then, dressed as cops actually and that's why they were let in and then they pretended like they were arresting one of the guys and then um it got kind of weird and then the people were like what and then they said the gentleman this is a robbery yeah and i believe if you go mm-hmm. to the isabella stewart gardner museum in boston those frames are still sitting there empty waiting for these paintings to be returned Yes. Actually, the museum is not allowed to replace them with anything else. According to Isabella's um, trust that she put up for the museum, if they ever change anything, um, then everything has to be liquidated and and given away to, I think, a certain university or something like that. So mm-hmm. they can't do anything other than just hopefully wait for the paintings to someday Reappear. be returned. But. You, I know a lot about there? this one. No, I haven't been there. Um, but I know about this one because um, one of the paintings is in my book. So the bad guys in the book all have actual paintings that have been stolen and not recovered. And so one of those uh, is in the in the book. So as you might know, we have a bookstore here in Concord. And I, do know. I have this whole goal of one day having a whole section in the bookstore of are just art heist books. I want to have like nice. multiple shelves just of books on art heist. Oh, I thought you were going to say. <laughs> I love it. I thought you were going to say stolen books. I've stole, stolen. Well, I really books want stolen about paintings. art heists. Yeah, yeah exactly. Exactly. <laughs> okay. Here is the last question for you, Carolyn. Okay. And you're, you're doing pretty well so far. I think you got four out of five. Many of the world's most famous paintings are scenes, as you know, from mythology or fairy tales and other forms of stories. Even famous novels have had famous paintings made of them. If you could choose one famous artist to make a painting from a scene in your book, what Mm. artist would it be and why? And you can't choose Starry Night just because 
that's so like an, an artist there. to create a painting of something of a in my book does it have to be a, a living artist well okay so no, actually no, no. it can be anybody in history actually or someone who's living um Except a living artist already it, did it? paint something from my book i don't know if y'all know this but jamin still painted yeah a painting that's uh, one of the only like non-famous paintings or like one of the characters paints something in the book and Jamin still created that painting. The, and then which you get the dragon cool. It's the dragon, yeah. 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 It's really um, cool. So if I if I could have but, someone paint a painting. Let's say a non-living I mean, painting then painter then. A, a non-living painter yeah. paint a painting. Um I guess <laughs> I would love to see <laughs> how many paintings see... could a non-living painter paint? If a paint, if a non-living painter could paint, um, I would love to see Van Gogh's rendition of what happens in my book on the Storm of the Sea of Galilee. That would be an interesting mm. mashup. And that's the one that was painting, right? I mean, stolen, right? That's From the one that was Isabella stolen and not recovered. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Graham, how did she do on this this quiz, uh, Carolyn? Uh, let me see five out of six that is unofficially it's unofficially that is an excellent score <laughs> if it holds we'll see if it holds especially because I some of these questions sabotaged. were actually difficult yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right graham before we let carolyn go we got to ask her a couple of questions should we start with well i'll let you choose which one we start with you'll let me choose yeah i'm gonna let you have Whoa. some agency <laughs> all right carolyn i want to know um <laughs> I want to know what advice you have for young authors out there. My main advice would be to not give up when things get difficult. So when I was a kid, I was trying to write novels in elementary school and stories and stuff. Um, but things got hard, right? My ideas dried up or, you know, I wasn't, I doubted myself and um, school was always easy for me. So when writing was hard, I quit until mm. I never wrote again until I had kids, really. Um so I would say, don't stop when things get hard because mm. they will. And real writers, it's hard for real writers too. Mm. What do you do when it gets hard? You keep pressing on <laughs> or you take take a break. You ask for advice from a friend. There's a lot of things you can do, but, um, you know, don't, don't up on something just because it's hard. So my strategy generally when writing gets hard is I find a blanket and then I crawl under it and I usually take it under a table and I stay there for mm -hmm. a really long time. How, what do you feel? How do you feel about that kind of process? Um, that could work. Yeah. If, as long as you come back out. Okay. All right. And, okay. Uh, I'll work on that part. And look at it again. <laughs> okay. Okay. All right. Yeah. Sometimes right. you have to like put the manuscript away for a while and come back to it, work on something else. But yeah, yeah. yeah it's worth keeping going. I usually scream into a pillow. I, okay. I find that yeah. helps. Um, not until you're hoarse, but just enough. Um, yeah, just enough, right. yeah. To get it yeah. out. To let to let it out. <laughs> <laughs> I actually, on my desktop background, I have this picture, of, and it's like typography, and it says, "You'll think of something." And mm, I like that. It actually really helps a lot because <laughs> getting <laughs> discouraged when you're doing anything creative is like a big part of the process, and yeah. even like. Yeah doing something creative for years, it doesn't necessarily go away. Unless you're like Stephen King or something who just kind of seems to... Uh, Pay someone to do his work for him? <laughs> he seems to be able to write oh, sorry. 30 pages well, a day, let's say. Uh, yeah, he, he's yeah. an everyday writer. I, I will say something that was game-changing for me was doing NaNoWriMo, no, National Novel Writing Month, because um, I'd oh, only yeah. written picture books for years. 
years and years or short stories and um, didn't think I could make it through a novel. And I committed to doing that. It was actually finished on my 40th birthday, my first novel. Um, that one is in a drawer somewhere. <laughs> but it showed me that I could do it, that I could keep yeah. pressing on and get it done. Finish so, something. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Hey, can I, before we let you go, can I ask you one question about yeah. this particular series? Because I'm, I'm, I would love to know how writing about paintings and that the specific kind of creative work that a painting is impacted or influenced the way you worked on writing a novel because they're very different processes mm-hmm. you know you're trying in a novel you've got to depict something you got to make it people be able to imagine something mm-hmm. with words whereas in a painting you don't have to use words to help them imagine something it's a totally different thing so i'm wondering how the two interacted when you were writing these books and that's an interesting question. Um, well, so I'm not a painter or really like a visual artist of any kind. So maybe it would have been different if I was used to doing both. But um, but yeah, words have always been my, more my thing. So I think it was kind of fairly natural for me to try to um, just describe what was going on. And actually, my editor always came back and said, I, I need more. You need to to add more descriptions um, to, yeah. so I really tried to make those scenes come alive and focus on those um, making the paintings feel like real living works of art that, um, that kids would really want to go like ask their parent to look up. What is, what does this painting look like? I need to see it now. So yeah, yeah you can't get the whole thing just from the words, right? It's a different, it is a different medium, but yeah, hopefully brought it to life a little bit. Well, Writing can be so solitary, much the same way painting can be, I think. But um, it's really that's. I mean, your story is really cool, and the uh, these books. I hope I hope the kids check these books out. Um, I in checking it out myself, I was I was really intrigued. So you know, it's been a really exciting to talk to you about it. Awesome, thank you so much. I really this has been fun to be on here, even though I didn't make a hundred percent on my quiz. <laughs> has anybody ever made a hundred percent on the quiz? Few people sure, yes. do. Yes. Few. 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 Right. Yeah. Few. <laughs> it takes a special type of person to usually be on in sync with Graham's weird sense of humor. In this case, you it just worked out that you knew the stuff that I was uh, was researching myself. Yeah, so yeah, it's perfect timing. All right, Carol. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you so much for having me. This has been fun. Well, that was our conversation with Carolyn Leigh-Loglu. Thank you so much to her for coming on. Please go check out her books wherever you buy your books. Okay, Graham. Yeah. That brings us to the final segment of this episode. It brings us to Riddle Time! All right. So, last week, we did a riddle that involved a magician named uh, the Great Dave. I'm pretty sure it was the Great Dave. And the Great, Sounds right. the great Dave was boasting about uh, his lung capacity. <laughs> how long he could hold his breath underwater. Yep. Uh, a yep. boy named Sam was there. He was listening to this. Dave told Sam, I can hold my breath for six minutes underwater. And Sam was impressed, but uh, not incredibly impressed because Sam said he could hold his breath underwater for 10 minutes right. without any, you know, breathing apparatus. apparatus. Yeah. And the question was, how does Sam do this? Uh, we got a lot of answers. And right ones. yeah, yes. Yeah. So this is this is a tricky riddle. Yeah, Graham. Graham was going hard this time. And this one, um, can two have, episodes in, and Graham's already trying to trick the kids. This one can have multiple. Got it. Okay. This one can have multiple okay. answers. Right. So okay. uh, the answer proper to this riddle. 
is that he poured a glass of water and held it aloft above his head. Above his head, okay. Above his head. So he was breathing underwater. He was breathing underwater Got for it. 10 minutes. Although, yeah. I mean, you have to hold something over your head for 10 minutes. That's a feat. I'm impressed. I'm impressed. Unless he put it, put the rest of the glass on his head, then anyway, it doesn't a matter. Feet. Also a word that has a double meaning. <laughs> but we got some answers in. We got, the, we got that answer in. Okay. And then we got some answers in that I thought were clever. Like he wrote the word underwater and put it above his head. Because then he's holding his, you know, he's, he's underwater. underwater, yeah. Okay. Anyway, tricky riddle. Good job, everybody. All right, this week. Give us a new one, Graham. This week. Better be good. We have... A family. Family. Normal family. What are their names? It's a family of brothers. Uh, All right? Brothers, okay. Uh, There is uh, Adam and uh, Brian and Carl and uh, Dave. (laughs) Oh, yeah. The Wonder Smithvilles. And Elliot. Yes. yes. All right. So Adam, Brian, Carl, Dave, and Elliot. The Wonder Smithvilles. They're hanging out at home. They're just having a good time. Okay. You know, they, they don't have school today. They're very excited. Oh, these, so these are not um, adult brothers. No, these are, these are kids. Okay. Yeah. Do they have parents? Uh, uh, the parents are uh, on holiday. So, okay. So one of the kids is old enough to watch them Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Yeah. So they're like, they're kids, but they're not tiny kids. Correct. Okay. Yeah. So they're, they're having a good time. You know, okay. they've been maybe eating some pizzas. Maybe they watched a couple shows, but, you know, they're done with the, the screen time, let's say. No adults around, so they're following the rules strictly. They're, they're finding some other things to do around the house. Right. Okay, so Adam's there. He decides he's going to study. He's the studious one of the bunch. All right. Okay. Uh, Brian is playing chess. Okay. Uh, Carl, uh, he's reading. Okay. We like that. He's reading. Right, right. Uh, David is writing. Okay. Yeah, like I say, they're you know, fairly studious here. We got chess, we got study, we got reading, we got writing. Yep, so Adam, Brian, Carl, and David. Okay. Those are the things they are doing. Okay. But what is Elliot doing? That is the riddle. That's the riddle? Yes. That's all the information you're going to give. And that's all the information you need is contained okay. in that riddle. Okay. So say the names again. Adam, Brian, Carl, and David. Okay. What is Elliot doing? Okay. You might have to listen to this one a few times. Okay. If you think you know the answer to this riddle, email us at podcasts at goldberrybooks.com. And you can also email us if you have a lazy or a crazy word that you want to suggest to us. We would love to hear that. Or if you have author suggestions. Did you just possibly drop the hint that maybe lazy words isn't going away forever? We, uh, yeah, maybe not. I mean, we still want to hear those because yeah. maybe next we, season. We have, we have some ideas. Yeah, we, we, yeah. we'll see. Yeah. Um, and of course, don't forget about, uh, you know, Waxwing books and don't forget about this, the costume contest. And there's lots of. Um, there's so much going on. Things going on. And then also don't forget about, you know, going to the thread and letting us know what you think the craziest words are in the English language over on our Substack. Yeah. Click on the link in our show notes. It'll take you there. Sign up with your email. That will allow you. You can you can look at our Substack without putting in your email, but you won't be able to comment or anything. Right, so you're going right. to want to sign up uh, with your parents' permission or have your parents sign up. Yeah. Um, so you can leave us those words. 
All right, Graham. We did it. We did it. At the end of our three episode of the sixth season, we are we are um, at the end of uh, another episode, and I, uh, I feel like why do you keep you're trailing off like kids you're tired? Who are, you... They're sad now that the episode. Oh, I thought you yeah, were getting kids are sad, right? They're not relieved. I thought you were just getting tired. No, I'm I'm just you know I'm just feeling like I, I thought you were getting tired. <laughs> you're not such a whippersnapper. <laughs> Uh, well, it's, uh, you know, for, for Graham Pittman, I'm David Kern. <sighs> You're supposed to say happy reading. Uh, oh, that's what it was. Okay. For Graham Pittman, I'm David Kern. Till next time, happy reading. Goodbye. Goodbye.